Baker and welcome back to the Kitchen Confidant Podcast. In today's episode, we're chatting with New York Times bestselling author and illustrator, Grace Lynn. She won the Newbery Honor for the Where the Mountain Meets the Moon and the Theater Geisel Honor for Ling and Ting. Her novel, When the Sea Turned to Silver, was a National Book Award finalist, and her picture book, A Big Moon Cake for a Little Star, was awarded the Caldecott Honor. Grace has also contributed and presented on New England Public Radio, The New York Times, PBS NewsHour, and TED Talk. She recently released her latest book, Chinese Menu, The History, Myths, and Legends Behind Your Favorite Foods, where she shares the tales of iconic dishes we have all grown to love. Welcome to the podcast, Grace. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you, but before we dig into the, all the yummy stuff, I always start by asking, what's the first thing that you ever cooked and about how old were you? You know, the first thing I ever cooked uh, was probably chocolate chip cookies. And I think I was over at a friend's house and I think I was probably around second or third grade. And uh, um, we decided to, her mom just let us cut, make chocolate chip cookies, but it was one of those you know, refrigerator rolls, and you just kind of like yes. slice the roll and put it on, and then and then it cooks. It's almost like one step above Easy Bake Oven. <laughs> that was probably <laughs> the first thing I ever made. <laughs> but I remember they were the most delicious chocolate chip cookies ever, at least to me. <laughs> you know what? I honestly, between you and me, they still are, and <laughs> I will never pass that up. If someone makes that for me, I would be happy to eat them. What a great way to start. <laughs> So could you tell everyone a little bit more about yourself, what it was like growing up, and were you always drawn to writing and, and drawing? Sure. So um, most people know me as a children's book author and illustrator. Um, I've been making children's books for quite a long time. My first book was uh, published in 1999, so I've been kind of in the industry for a long time. Now, um, those who are familiar with my work will realize that most of my books feature Asian and Asian American um, characters or culture. And that was done on purpose, uh, though maybe not the way most people assume. Most people look at me because I'm, uh, I'm Asian American and they're like, oh, you know so much about Chinese culture because you're Chinese. And that's actually kind of the opposite reason. I grew up in upstate New York where we were one of the very, very few marginalized family in the, families in the area. So uh, I was the only Asian girl in my elementary school, except for my sisters. And I was, uh, we were, that was the way I lived year after year after year during my elementary school life. And that gave me a very strange sense of identity. Uh, most of the time, I really did not want to be Asian. And I really rejected my heritage for most of my life until I went to college. And slowly, I started to realize what I had lost by rejecting my own heritage. And it's that is why I make the books that I do. I'm making my books to learn about the heritage that, that I didn't learn about when I was younger. And I'm also making these books to kind of claim my own heritage. Mm, I feel so many parallels. So you grew up upstate. I grew up downstate. Oh, and even though, yeah, even though there were, you know, pockets of Asian communities not too far away, my actual neighborhood that I grew up in was predominantly Irish and Italian. And in my elementary school, I was the only Asian girl as well for a very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I will, I will never forget, you know, how that 
impacted the way I grew up as well. And so I think when I see your books, I always think to myself, oh, this is the kind of book that I would have loved. Because other, other than the fact that like it took a plane trip to the Philippines to go to the local bookstore there and then bring it back, there were no characters that looked like me. So I'm actually curious, what were your favorite books growing up? Well, I I experienced the exact same thing. There were no books that I can remember with characters that look like me. At least the one book that did have Asian characters was the uh, Five Chinese Brothers. And if you remember that one, there are five identical brothers, but the illustrations are so cringe-worthy, especially mm. if you're an Asian American. Uh, they're, they're, the faces are yellow, they've got these big buck teeth, and that was so mm. not how I wanted to be seen. I remember when my librarian took that out, and all of my classmates turned to me and said, oh, oh Chinese, just like you! And I was just so oh. horrified, like that was not Chinese just like me, you know, that's at least, that's not how I wanted to be seen. Mm -hmm. um, so it was it was really, um, I didn't even really realize how, how heartbreaking it was to never see someone that looked like me in a book. I knew I wanted that when I was younger, but it's only as an adult looking back, I realized, wow, that would have really made a big deal to me. Even though I was aware of it, even as a child, like, gee, how come there's nobody looks like me ever, you know? Uh, so, yeah. uh, uh, you know, that's another reason why I make the books that I do. Um, I'm kind of trying to do the wish fulfillment that I had when I was younger. But, you know, I still loved books. I mean, I loved books. It was just um, I never saw anyone exactly like me, but still there's always pieces of me that I could see in books. So, uh, you know, I loved all the classic books. My uh, One of my favorite books were the Anne of Green Gables series. <gasps> uh, <laughs> Oh Which my is, gosh. Yeah. How many times so, have you read that one? Because it's oh, over and I over read and it over almost again. like every year. <laughs> I know. And like and like uh I loved there's the books by Natalie Babbitt. She wrote Tuck Everlasting. Uh she mm -hmm. also wrote this other one called The Search for Delicious. You know, these are the books, even though I did as I did say, they didn't show anyone that looked like me. They are the books that I hold dear, dear to my heart, you know, and the books that mm -hmm. I remember so closely loving as a child and still love today as an adult. And, you know, many people often ask me, oh, will you ever write books for adults? And, and I say, you know, maybe someday. But the truth is, I remember how much those books meant to me as a child and as an author. To think that I could create a book that means that much to somebody, that's really my dream, right? Like, I feel like most people, their fondest memory of a book is the books that they read as children. And so that's kind of the memories that I want to create with my work. Oh, I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there because you're right. You know, when I think back to favorite books, it's always the ones that I just remember hiding like under my bed covers with or and that's really personal and you're you're a part of their growing up years that's mm -hmm. I can't think of anything better um and as someone who cherishes stories behind food because to me every dish has a story whether it's personal or historical I can't tell you how much I am so excited about your book so Chinese Thank menu you. this was the book that I would have loved growing up um, eating out at my favorite restaurants and flushing or in Chinatown. <laughs> so how did 
How did you come up with this book? When did, like, how did it finally evolve for you? Sure. So uh, I'm so proud of this book. Uh, so this book, Chinese Menu, it tells the history, myths, and legends behind your favorite food at an American Chinese restaurant. So uh, it tells the story behind dumplings. It tells the story behind wonton soup. It tells the story about uh, behind Kung Pao chicken. And it's a really special book to me. Um, I've been thinking about this book for quite a long time. I actually came up with the idea for this book all the way back in 2004 uh, when I made a book called Fortune Cookie Fortunes. Um, that book was a picture book for like kindergartners and first graders. But when I was making that book, um, I did research on the fortune cookie. And that's when I found out that fortune cookies were a completely Asian American invention. That if you go to China, no, and you ask for a fortune cookie, nobody will know what you're talking about. <laughs> or if they do, they'll say, oh, you mean that American cookie, you know? So uh, I thought that was fascinating. And I would tell this to all my friends. And what was strange was how when I told this to all my friends, they would always respond in kind of this tone of disgust or disdain, they'd be like, oh, so fortune cookies aren't even really Chinese. And when they said that, I always felt this really strange defensiveness. Yeah. Um, because as I said, uh, I talked about my upbringing, you know, and how I just embraced my Asian roots pretty late in life. And I could see lots of people saying, the same words about me, like, oh, she's not really Chinese. Mm -hmm. And I felt like very sensitive about that. And I, you know, and I felt like, no, uh, it's true. I am not Chinese. I am Asian American. And that is actually something to be very proud of. And you know what, fortune cookie, I feel like you don't have to be ashamed that you're not really Chinese. You should be proud <laughs> that you are Asian American. And I kind of felt like I wanted to do a whole book on food, American foods with Chinese roots to kind of give this food a bit more respect. And with the idea that hopefully readers of that, of this book, of this book will give not only the food more respect, but their fellow Americans with Asian roots more respect as well. Yeah, I, you know, the fortune cookie, I, I think it was around that same time that I, I learned also that it wasn't, that it was an Asian American invention. And that was so enlightening. But I also love how you tied it to the legend surrounding mooncakes, because I do think there is a tie in. I think you're right about that. And <laughs> so it, it's a beautiful way to honor, you know, both the Asian American side the, the traditional Chinese stories and legends and, and, you know, bring it full circle. You're right. There's why should it be any less? And I, I get that, that whole, it's not Asian enough. It's not Chinese enough for me. It's not Filipino enough because that's just part of the immigrant experience and, exactly. and translating those well-loved stories. So I thought you did that beautifully in the book. Thank you. <laughs> I also love that you open up in your introduction by saying um, that saying you can eat without meat, but you cannot eat without soup. And mm. I think there's something I know that for my my Taiwanese friends, especially like I just remember soup being such a huge part of their lives. Like we would get picked up by her father after school and he would have containers of soup for us to eat in the backseat of the car. And I just thought how sweet, like there's just nothing more nourishing than that and more thoughtful than that. So I love that saying so much. 
Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating when I think about it now. My mom, every day for dinner, we would have soup. And I think about this now and I'm like, how interesting. Like, it was just, that was just the way it was for us. And now looking back, I'm like, oh, we always had soup, like some kind of broth, broth soup. And, um, mm-hmm. and very often my dad never had like water or a cup, anything to drink. He always drank the soup as his beverage, mm-hmm. which uh, upon researching this book, I realized is actually the Chinese cuisine tradition. Right. So, okay, we have to touch upon the research because I was reading through your bibliography, which to me was just as fascinating as the stories. <laughs> <laughs> what was the research process like for this? Oh, it was quite extensive. Um, and I have to give com- full credit to my research assistant, Isabel Brandt. She is, she was a uh, Chinese studies student at Smith College. Uh, and she helped me so much because like I said, I've been collecting stories since like 2004, uh, but I, I was not collecting in a very um, scholarly way. Let's <laughs> say like <laughs> my father would tell me a story over the table. I scribble it down. Like my aunt would tell me something. I'd read a really bad English translation somewhere on the internet. And <laughs> you know, like like so I had lots of stories, but when we were going to make it into a book, I realized, oh, I think I need to make sure that these actually have real roots. <laughs> In, in legend and myth and not just something my dad made up for fun, you know. And so um, I hired Isabel and I gave her the, the list of stories that I had and I asked her to find secondary sources for these stories. And so I've talked about my background enough, but you probably could guess I do not read Chinese and I do not speak Chinese with any fluency, but she could and she does. And so she was extremely helpful because she could go to all the Chinese books and Chinese resources and and get me um, and translate those for me. And uh, we use that as secondary sources. And also she found new stories, stories that I I uh, liked better. Like, I, oh. like uh, there'd be stories that I was like, oh, this is what I have. It's not that good, but and she's like, well, I found this one. And <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's so much better. And we used hers instead. <laughs> Yeah, and there's that's something that I thought was so interesting too. There's different versions, different um, possibilities <laughs> in terms of the stories, and so you have endnotes, which also kind of allude to the other stories, which is great. Yeah. So I think if for someone who wants to continue going down that path, they can. It's a rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a fun rabbit hole, though. <laughs> a very fun rabbit hole. So back to the wonton soup. I just thought that story was really appropriate. And a good way to start off, because I think a lot of us start off a meal at a Chinese restaurant with probably wonton soup. Can you share that story, please? Sure. So wonton soup is one of those stories that, you know, if you ask different people about it, you'll get different, different answers. My, this is actually an example of what I was saying with Isabel, because what I had found out was that wonton, um, because wonton soup is called wonton soup here in the United States because the first uh, chefs who came over from China were probably from Canton. Um, And so the Cantonese way of saying the soup is wonton soup. And that uh, kind of translates to swallowing clouds, which is such a beautiful poetic way of thinking about eating the soup. Like the, the dumplings are clouds and you swallow them. 
But uh, Isabel did a little bit more research and she found out that actually, if you look at the etymology of wonton soup, you find out that it's actually referring to something called the primordial chaos. And mm. the primordial chaos is basically referring to the Taoist creationist myth. Now, yeah. uh, so the Taoist creationist myth goes like this. Uh, once upon a time, there was nothing. <laughs> there was just <laughs> this broth of soup, you know, floating around. And that is what the wonton soup symbolizes, The what was there be, even before the universe, just this broth. And then slowly over time in this broth, something began to congeal a white object, a white egg-like object congealed over time, growing bigger and bigger. And that's what the dumpling symbolizes. And then mm. the story continues, that white congealed object grew larger and larger, and it was actually an egg. And inside this egg was a giant, a huge giant man who was growing inside this egg, larger and larger and larger, until one day he grew too big for the eggs and he split it open. And he <laughs> lifted the top of the egg up above him and he stomped down the bottom of the egg below him. And he kept growing and growing and he kept pushing the top above him and pushing the, the bottom of the egg below him until for like 18,000 years, maybe longer, <laughs> 18 million <laughs> years, who knows, <laughs> until finally the two parts of the eggs could never ever be joined again. And the top of the egg was the heavens and the bottom of the eggs was the earth. After he had split the, the two parts of the egg so far apart that they could never be joined ever again, he fell down and he died. <laughs> uh, oh. And as he died, uh, all of his, his body basically became everything that we know here on earth. So they said one of his eyes became the sun and the other eye became the moon. Um, his final breaths became like the wind and the clouds. Um, his, his head and his arms and his body became the mountains and his blood became the ocean and the rivers. And like his, um, his hair became the trees and the plants. And the thing that always gives me the heebie-jeebies is that they say like the lice and the fleas on his hair turned into all the animals of the earth. <laughs> so wonton soup is supposed to symbolize that the, the forming of the world, the, that wonton, the dumpling, is supposed to be that egg before it was split open by Pangu. When you split open that wonton to eat, you are splitting open the, you're, you're creating the world, <laughs> the heavens and the earth. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll never think of wonton soup in <laughs> the same way again. And honestly, that's the best appetizer and teaser for the rest of your book because all the stories are just so fun. They're just fun. Are there any, I mean, some of, some of them are folktales. Some of them are based on real history. Are there any that totally surprised you? Let's see. Well, the one that I love to tell kids um, is the one about spring rolls. Um, so everybody knows, I think probably most of your listeners know what a spring roll is. If they don't know what a spring roll is, they probably know what an egg roll is. Um, and an egg roll and a spring roll are two different things uh, because egg roll is thicker, uh, thicker and bigger, wider. But the egg roll definitely was an offshoot of the spring roll. And so the spring roll has a really fun uh, origin story. It's called the spring roll because it is eaten in spring time in, in China, but that has nothing to do with the origin story. The origin story has to do with a Ming Dynasty minister who would get his work done twice as fast 
as all of his colleagues. And his colleagues were very jealous that he got his work done so fast and also very suspicious. So finally, one day they went to the emperor and said, that minister is cheating. There is no way that he can be getting his work done so quickly. Somebody is doing his work for him. So the emperor, who was also very curious about how this minister got his work done so quickly, called him, called the minister to him and said, how do you get your work done so quickly? And that's when the minister revealed his big secret. He said, well, actually, I have this special gift. I can write with two hands. And because I can write with two hands, I can get my work done twice as fast. Of course, no one believed him. So the emperor said, all right, here, here's nine boxes of records. You have nine days to copy these nine boxes of records. If you can really write with two hands, you should be able to get it done. So the minister took home the nine boxes of records. But when he opened the boxes, he saw there were so many records that it, he would be, have to be working night and day with no breaks in order to finish, even with writing with his two hands. So he went right to work night and day, not sleeping, not eating. Now. The minister had a wife who was very worried about him. And when it got to about day three, she's like, you have to eat. And the minister said, no, no, I can't stop to eat. I need both my hands to write. And so she said, okay, I'll feed you. And so she tried to feed him soup and she tried to feed him noodles. And he's like, no, 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 too messy. And he kept writing and writing. And so she went to the kitchen and she invented a new food, a rolled food that she could hold and he could bite off with one hand, uh, I mean, sorry, he could that he could bite off while still using his two hands to write. So he did not need his hands to eat this food. She could just hold it in front of him and he could bite it. And of course, that rolled food was the spring roll. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. What a great story. We could just do this all day. Just tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> so fun. Well, I don't know. I know I, I cannot wait to share this book with my own kids, Grace, because I know they're going to love it. Um, I wish it was, I wish you had written it maybe a couple more years ago when they were a little <laughs> bit younger. But honestly, this is great for anybody, um, anyone yeah. who enjoys food and again, who enjoys history and storytelling. And I have to ask, what's your favorite dish at a Chinese restaurant? <laughs> you know, I've, <laughs> I've been asked this and I used to say the mushu. Uh, because that's the one that, you know, is my favorite that I usually go to. But then I started thinking, like, you know, actually, the one that's really my favorite is the Peking duck. I just don't get it that often because it's expensive. It's <laughs> but, very special. Like, <laughs> but, but the special occasions, the Peking duck is my favorite, which also, both of those dishes have great stories that I hope your listeners, um, your listeners read in the book. <laughs> yeah. And then you also have a podcast. Let's touch upon that really quickly. Oh, <laughs> sure. Um, and I know that you get questions from kids a lot, right? So is there a question that you've received that has st like stood out to you? Oh, gosh. So I have a podcast. It's, it's uh, right now, it's a little bit on hiatus, uh, mainly because I'm so busy with this book right now. But mm -hmm. it's called Kids Ask Authors. And that's where a guest author and I answer one kid question a week. And I, I get a lot of questions specifically uh, to, for me too. Uh, but there's Two questions when you said, which are the ones that surprised me? Uh, which one's hard to answer? The one that surprised me, uh, which I had never gotten before, was like, why don't you have chapter titles in your book, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I, was like, I, was, I, I was just so flabbergasted because I was so surprised that a kid would would even pick that up, you know, and like mm -hmm. want, want to like know about that. And I think that just goes to show how deeply invested 
kids are in these books. If they love your book, they are they are combing and wondering about every little detail. Um, mm -hmm. And I just had to be, I just had to say, oh, there's no chapter titles because I couldn't think of any. <laughs> <laughs> now, the hard question that they often ask me, um, and this one I get quite often, like, which book of your favorite, which book that you've of you that you've written and illustrated is your favorite so my book a big moon cake for little star um, it features my daughter it was inspired by my daughter eating all the moon cakes at the moon festival and she's and i took photos of her and she modeled for me and so she's very much a little star in my book uh -huh. so um, i have to on the record say that a big moon cake for little star is my favorite because if i say any other book she gets very <laughs> mad at me and she's like how can you say that little star is not your favorite i'm little star so for the record a uh, little star <laughs> a big moon cake for little star is my favorite but you know my new book <laughs> my new book is a very close second so <laughs> very close <laughs> so i hope oh, you check good out both answer <laughs> very diplomatic mom well said <laughs> Oh, Grace, I could talk to you all day. This is so much fun, but I have some closing questions, if you don't mind. Just some fun sure. ones that I ask everybody. Um, what's something that you make when you're too tired to cook and you just need an emergency dinner? Oh, um, I, I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but it's true. I just do cereal with milk. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I get that once in a while and I'm like, why don't more people say it? Because it's so good. I'm just so tired and I'm like, you know what? Cereal with milk is good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I have actually recently also fallen back on the good like toast and jam. <laughs> like it's such like like eating that like it brings me back to childhood and like toast and jam. It makes me feel very happy. Yeah, I made toast and jam yesterday, and I just added a banana too. So oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the yummies. What's the one recipe that you treasure the most? The one recipe that I treasure the most is probably, it's a very, it's, it's a super simple recipe. Um, it's a dumpling recipe, but it's not the, it's not the meat dumpling. It's just the simple, uh, I'm blanking on the Chinese word for the dumpling. It's the, the one that we have at Lunar New Year and at the winter solstice. It's got the red bean paste inside. Um, Ooh. <laughs> I'm sorry. You could tell I'm, I'm, I used up all my words talking to you earlier. <laughs> um, that sounds so good. So it's just like a red bean paste in the inside? Yeah, tongue, tongue is, um, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> all, your age, all your Chinese listeners are like, oh my gosh, you can't remember. They're yelling it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we make that every year, me and my daughter. Um, and we've been making it because it's so simple. Like she's been making it with me from like from when she was like four. So I really treasure that, um, even though it's very very simple. Like mm. we even bought we even buy the red bean paste. You know, <laughs> like we just take the 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 rice flour and add water. It's like so simple, but I love it. Oh, that sounds. I love anything with red bean paste. Do you steam it or do you bake it? Um, we boil it in water, so it's oh, like you a boil it. Effort, oh, yeah. oh, oh, yes. Oh, I know what you're talking am about. That, am I saying it correctly? Tong. I well, <laughs> honestly, I don't. I'm not one with pronunciation or anything, but I, I know what you're talking about now. Okay. Yeah, it's so good. Okay. Um, are you a messy cook or a neat cook? Messy. <laughs> Definitely messy. But I'm messy. I, I have to admit, I'm messy in almost everything in my life. Um, so I'm. 
really a lot of people uh out who don't live with me they're like grace lynn you get so much done <laughs> like grace lynn you have so many books how do you do it like how do you do it all and i'm like well that's because i have a very very messy house <laughs> like the only i have come to the conclusion that the only way i can get work done is if i let other things go and the things that i have let go has been cleanliness <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's part of the creativity, you know, you've just got to like focus on that stuff and, and not the yeah. other. Yeah, not cleanliness. I take it back because that sounds unhygienic. Clutter, like I've let the clutter yeah. go, like it's clutter, not not dirt. <laughs> I totally get it. You can have a very clean house, but a very cluttery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, is there a good kitchen tip that you can share? Uh, the only one that came to mind was to let your kids cook with you early like and don't worry about the fact that they slow you down or they make mm. a mess or that or the food doesn't turn out well um, it's going to be delicious in a completely different way um, and it'll be a great story <laughs> yeah I couldn't agree more my mom used to just kick me out of the kitchen sometimes because I was slowing her down and yeah but the times that I got to cook with her was so much fun so yeah. those are the memories that you'll treasure Mm -hmm. So Grace, every week I try to share five little things with my audience, something that made me smile. Is there anything that made you smile this week? Well, what made me smile in a weird way uh, was yesterday was my daughter's first day of school and she, uh, it's her first day of middle school and we were walking to her to school and, you know, she held my hand, right? And then Aww. as we got closer, it was like, she let go of my hand, like, oh, that's not cool. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then she, she like, like, okay, you can, you can stay here. And then she like went off into school. Right. And like, and I was like, I was like really sad. Right. I was like, Oh, like there's, but then right before she went and she turned around and she kind of like waved like, Oh, and like that gave me like that small, you know, like she like did the two handed wave, like, bye, you know, like, so I don't know, it was like a bittersweet smile, but it was a smile like, yeah, she's getting older. She's, she's bigger, but you know, she still loves us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're making my, my mom heart flutter. <laughs> it really does. And you know what? Now that she's in middle school, someone told me this when, um, when our kids were in middle school, they're like, okay, buckle up because it's just going to go faster. And then once she starts high school, oh, gosh. it's <laughs> going to go by even faster. So yeah, enjoy enjoy middle school. It's oh. it's a tough one, but it's also a really fun age. So is it? I'm a little yeah. scared, but um, I'm trying to. I guess that's maybe why I remember. Like I'm smiling at it because I'm trying to remember all the good parts of it now. Like somebody told me, like when there's something good happens, make a mental note and remember it. <laughs> yeah, and knowing you, you'll you probably write it down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Grace, thank you for spending time with me. Where can everyone find you and Chinese Menu? Sure. So please look for me at uh, on Instagram at Pacey Lin, P-A-C-Y-L-I-N. Uh, Pacey is my Chinese name, so that's why I'm, there was a million Grace Lins that it was taken up, so I use Pacey Lin. Um, oh. And you can find me on, on Instagram um, there. I'd be so happy to see you. And you can also go to my website, which is gracelynn.com. I got that before anybody else did. Uh, so com, And you can see all my books. Um, I've got lots of things. If you have kids or if you know a child, lots of things that are great for them. I've got videos where I teach them how to draw dragons. And I teach them how to draw um, 
bunnies and all these kind of uh, and one and um, videos about my books. So uh, please visit my website, graceland.com. And you can also purchase Chinese menu and any of my books uh, anywhere books are sold, or you can go to barnesandnobles.com. Perfect. Grace, thank you so much for spending time with me. I had such a blast talking to you and I can't wait to see what other books come out from you in the future. It's, it's so exciting. Thanks so much. <laughs> I'm willing to bet that no matter how old you are, Grace's books will bring so much joy. I love her passion for writing and illustrating and how infectious it is. And know that so many little minds and some grown-up ones too will learn a lot from Chinese Menu. Thank you again to Grace for sharing her talents with us. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a minute, please take a moment to rate it and share it with a friend and join us again next time. Until then, happy cooking. Happy cooking.